Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled Developing Emotional Maturity and was originally produced and published by Preston Pugmire of the Next Level Life Podcast. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy this episode. On the podcast today, we have Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. She is a licensed psychotherapist, and she specializes in relationship and sexuality counseling. She primarily works with LDS couples. I first came to know about her through listening to her on other podcasts, and then I've actually, me and my wife have uh, bought her courses and love, love, love her work. So Jennifer, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So tell the people, just real quick, just kind of introduce yourself a little bit, even though I already did, but tell us about your heart and your hopes and your fears and your dreams. Just get into it. Well, that's a lot. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm Jennifer. I live in the Chicago area. I grew up in Burlington, Vermont in a large Mormon family and I'm married and have three kids. And I'm, as uh, Preston said, I am a private practice therapist and I do a lot of couples work and I love the work. It's, it's really challenging, but absolutely. I love it. My hopes, fears, and dreams. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. My hopes and fears are kind of go together, which is a stable functioning society. We'll continue. <laughs> that is definitely my hopes and fears. My uh, hopes are around very much around my family, my children, and kind of who they're growing up to be and who they're becoming. And, you know, my biggest hope is to just live life well and fully and in a way that I can respect and be grateful for at the end. It's precious and it's there's not as much time as we sometimes think and just living it in a way that I really am at peace with. That's my my biggest hope. I love, love, love that. It's perfect. What I want to talk about today is how relationships and our emotional maturity within those relationships translate to what we do in every aspect of our life, primarily with entrepreneurship, because that's what this podcast is kind of focused on, Mm -hmm. but from a personal development context. Talk a little bit about your philosophy about emotional maturity, what that means to you, and how we can apply that in our lives. I mean, I think emotional maturity is basically the process of becoming less dependent on other people's approval, validation, you know, less dependent on other people to manage our sense of self and growing into more capacity to be autonomous in our functioning. By that, I mean more able to express our unique, our individuality in the world, to be more able to be a force for good in our own unique ways in the world, to be more able to make moral judgments about what we think is good and right, to be able to have a sort of developed inner compass that we use to be a force for good in the world. I think that's psychological adulthood. And it's hard to arrive at sometimes because our native state is to be dependent. And it's hard for many of us to grow out of that dependency on other people's approval, on other people validating where we are in the world, and often compromise our ability to express our gifts or develop our gifts in unique ways. Beautifully said. I love your verbiage. You're talking about maintaining a sense of self and removing the state of dependency. Mm-hmm. What is a sense of self? Because everybody has this idea of like believing in yourself. And it's kind of like so trite at this point that it, 
has lost a little bit of its meaning just because people are using it in yogurt ads. Right. <laughs> so what is a sense of self, according to Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife? Well, I think, you know, we all have some sense of self. It's part of being human is this capacity to forge a sense of self. And when you're a baby and a child, you can't help but borrow that sense from other people. You're looking to other adults in your life, parents, caretakers, siblings, to give you some sense of who you are and who you are not and how you are seen and, and so on. And so you, we start by kind of creating a self-concept through the messages that we're given. For those of us who are very fortunate, those are very positive messages. They're messages of possibility and goodness and that we're worthy. For those of us that grow up in more um, toxic environments, they're self-devaluing concepts. But for better or for ill, we forge a concept of self that comes out of our relationships and our lived experience. Somebody whose work I follow closely is Dr. David Schnarch, who's done a lot of work in the in the field of differentiation and differentiation theory and so on. And, and he talks about the fact that we can have a reflected sense of self or a solid sense of self. So a reflected sense of self is you are very dependent on other people to tell you who you are. Like you can't feel good about yourself if you don't think you look attractive and you, for example, and you need everyone to tell you that you're, you look good, or you need everyone to tell you that you're good enough. That would be somebody who's still in a pretty early state of self-development, that they are dependent upon a reflected sense of self. A more solid sense of self is you have less dependency on approval, as I have been talking about, more ability to reference your own experience, to reference your own values, to reference your self-respect as a way of judging who you are in the world. And that's the progression is moving out of that dependency into something that's a little more stable within ourselves. Beautiful. Beautiful. Something you're, when you're talking about like emotional maturity and getting, having that solid sense of self. I don't know if you said this or if I kind of gleaned it from all the things that you say, but physical maturity just happens. It happens at us. Like it happens to us. Mm -hmm. That's right. With nothing on our parts. But emotional maturity, it doesn't just happen to us. We don't get this solid sense of self just because we've gone through puberty or gotten married or yeah. graduated college or just six feet tall, whatever that looks like. Right. People have this idea that physical maturity and emotional maturity just happen. Like, oh, you're an adult now, so you just act like an adult. We don't do these things inside of our own mind. Right. And one of the ways that I've found with my coaching clients and with entrepreneurs in general is that when you don't have this solid sense of self, it prohibits you from taking action because you are still, as you're talking about, uh, dependent on these external messages for validation. Right. So for you, like I'm talking about a very specific application of somebody wants to launch a business or start a website or start a whatever, start some sort of business, they don't do it because of this self-doubt and that all of this is tied together. And so that's why it's so, so important. So how do you get to the point that you reference your own values and find that internal validation and end up taking action? So I have a simple answer and a little more complex answer. Maybe I'll give a little of the complexity, but then the punchline in the end. I mean, I think the complexity of it is that those of us, again, that grew up in an environment where your parents were solid enough that they didn't need you to be X, Y, or Z to validate their sense of self 
and they really were able to invest in you as a unique human being. And they were able to hold for you the idea that taking risks that you, the child, are worth it. You're worth taking risks. You're worth making mistakes. You are worth stretching into areas where you feel incompetent because that's the only way you're going to develop. And your development is a form of self-love to, to do things that allow you to develop capacity, whether that's skill sets or psychological capacity. Those of us that are less fortunate grew up in, in homes, and this was pro probably the majority of the people listening, in which there are conditions and there is parents yeah. need you to either comply with them to make them feel in control or feel like a good parent, or they need you to do the things that validate their worldview or their sense of self. And so kids that grow up in that environment will feel a lot of angst about stepping off the beaten path or doing anything that they know isn't going to be in line with what the parents can validate. And another way of saying it is people will either do compliance or defiance. So if you feel a lot of pressure, sometimes you'll go and sort of do a more rebellious thing. But that can also not necessarily be good for you. You can be doing something that's not compliant but still is kind of connected to the issue of validation from the parents. So whether or not you grew up in the more conditional environment or the more accepting one, what development always requires, I think, is a willingness to stretch yourself, is, it, is to acknowledge what your highest desires are. What is it that you really want? What is it you want to develop, create, become? And a willingness to basically tolerate the potential failure, potential invalidation, the discomfort that growing into areas that are not yet known requires. You, you have to be willing to say it may go badly and yet it matters enough to me to be willing to take that risk. If we won't, as I've heard uh, Dr. Schnarch say, the one who I said I follow quite a bit, he said, you know, you get two, there's two different types of discomfort out there. You can have the discomfort of not growing, of not challenging yourself and feel bad about yourself all the time. So you get either that discomfort or you can have the discomfort of growing, either productive discomfort or unproductive discomfort. Which do <laughs> yeah. you choose? You get it either way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So those of us who kind of feel freer and freer and freer through time take the productive discomfort over the unproductive discomfort. Exactly. And people want to stay in their comfort zone, but that ends up being uncomfortable because of you're stagnant. That's right. Where people feel bad, in my experience as clients, where they feel depressed or a sense of low self-respect has really been more around those that coddle their anxieties, coddle their fears <laughs> and live in a kind of restricted way. People who've tried and made mistakes and tried and made mistakes I experience as having a lot more self-respect, even though they understand the mistakes have happened and that they've learned from them and it's been challenging at times, but they respect their basic willingness to, to stretch themselves. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I love the thing that you said where developing, you're talking about uh, developing your own emotional maturity and your sense of self is a form of self-love. People talk about self-care and self-love in, in the context of getting a really nice bar of chocolate or going to a massage or something like that. Like, oh yeah, I'm just doing my self-care. And I love what you said, and I'm 100% on board. Self-care, yeah. self-love self is 
stretching yourself emotionally. Absolutely. Getting outside of your comfort zone, experiencing the productive discomfort. Yes, that's right. Love it. Absolutely love it. You're talking about people have a native state of dependency because we're children and that's obvious. Mm -hmm. You have to have your parents take care of you and you can't change your own diaper when you're 18 months old. But what do you say? A lot of the things that you talked about were if your parents are X or if your parents are Y. So what if somebody did come from a situation where it was less effective? Yes. What do they do then? Because they're at a relative disadvantage in that way. Absolutely. So that would be my caseload, right? (laughs) The people coming for help are generally the people who are in a meaning frame in which they feel stuck. Yeah. They don't feel able to kind of work their way out of it. I would say that if I were to kind of make therapy a caricature for a moment, I think the primary thing I'm doing is helping people to see themselves in context. And that is to say, a lot of times we have these self-perceptions, we feel like they're true and that they are defining because it's the self-perception we've had for a long time. What they don't often see is the pressures that have been on them to see themselves in this way, whether they're in a relationship with an oppressive parent or an oppressive partner, whether or not they have you know, we all, as we uh, talked about, you know, we all have a sense of self, but oftentimes we create a sense of self that's really rigid and it's rigid for a reason. And the way to understand how it's become rigid is understanding what role you've played in the network of relationships that you're in and how you got there. And so what I'm often doing is helping people to really see that dynamic, to see how they got pressured into a particular position. So an example might be if you grew up with a very critical, demanding father and you always felt inferior and you know you can't have equilibrium with your father unless you take an inferior position, even as an adult where you're still kind of deferring to him and you're still doing what he's asking and still, and it can sometimes be subtle in the sense that it's not about physical intimidation, but a kind of pressure that's always on the child. They are so accustomed to being in a self-doubting position in which they're looking for their dad or others' approval that they don't see how their strength, how their capacity is always being limited by this very internalized dynamic. And so if I can help people the best, it's helping them to see how they have constructed their sense of self and what the forces have been upon it and whether or not they're going to choose to keep positioning themselves in this old position that they can maybe get their parents' approval in, or they keep equilibrium with that parent, but keeps them in a more restricted or even childlike position. And when people start to see it, it it actually opens up their sense of agency because now they can make choices. Am I really going to keep living small? Am I really going to keep deferring to everybody around me? Or am I going to start kind of claiming my own ability to think and to consider and define who I'm going to be? Love it. You're talking about exposing the internalized dynamic. And then this is what I call the Wizard of Oz principle when Dorothy uh, pulled back the curtain and we saw the Wizard of Oz for what it was. All of a sudden he lost his power. And so when your internalized dynamic where you're talking about your limiting belief or whatever, when you expose it and take an actual honest look at it, which is painful, it's very uncomfortable to do. It is painful. Because it challenges your sense of self, your perception. It does. And a lot of us want there to be a wizard. We don't (laughs) want just a man behind the curtain. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And we want this idea that there's these strong, able people out there that we can kind of depend upon rather than seeing the way that that dynamic 
it keeps us dependent and limited, but also then we have to take more responsibility for ourselves if we really see what's behind the curtain. And that's scary. And it is. Once it is exposed, what is your process for reversing it, that internalized dynamic? I mean, it's really through choices. And I'm often talking to people about what their choices are. I was talking to somebody today and saying, you know, you don't have to grow up, really. You know, it really (laughs) is up to you. (laughs) And I know it sounds a little ridiculous, but in some ways he was really overwhelmed by the anxiety of psychologically becoming an adult, taking deeper Mm. responsibility for his life because it's been very handicapped through the way he's kind of been in a one down dependent position even though he's a full adult, right, in terms of age. But it's scary to start to see the people around him more as just human beings. It's scary to have to start defining his life more for, on his own terms. And so he keeps in some ways wanting to go blind and stay in this old dynamic. And so instead of me trying to, him pleasing me in therapy and acting like the good client by, you know, acting like somebody who wants to grow up, I was saying to him, you know, I think you're being compliant with me. That's, and I don't think you should spend your money doing that with me. It's not a good use of your time. You already do compliance without me. (laughs) I mean, you don't have to do this, right? You can keep doing what you're doing, or you can tolerate the anxiety of starting to stand up and claim your life, but it really is a decision that's up to you. So what I see as myself doing in that is I'm a little bit like the ghost of Christmas future and goes to Christmas present and past. It's sort of like, here's how you learned it. This is what you're doing. You can keep doing it, but I think this is what it's going to mean for you. Or you can have a different future. Which anxiety do you want? And and that's kind of all I can do it because ultimately people have to decide where they're going to be uncomfortable and whether or not they're going to start taking more responsibility for themselves or start choosing in a way that they respect more deeply or taking the risks of developing something or creating something or studying something that there's no guarantees around. And yet they are letting themselves be worth that effort. So that's a choice. You know, we talk about loving others is is an important thing to do. And it, it's an act of courage and it's a moral act to love others. I think it's a moral act to love ourselves. And it's not about feeling good about ourselves as much as what we talked about earlier, which is investing in yourself, doing hard things for the benefit of your development, just as you would do hard things for the benefit of your child's development. And that's what love is. And it takes courage because there aren't guarantees, but I think it's the only way to live. Yeah, it really is. You're totally right about it's a choice. Sometimes people just choose out of that because they can't handle the pressure or the anxiety of the growth. And one thing I've found as a coach is I get to be okay with that instead of trying to be (laughs) a savior for somebody because that doesn't work. Absolutely. Exactly. And But genuinely with no judgment. It's like, oh, that is what they're choosing. Yeah. And it's not like, okay, that's their choice. It's just no judgment, just love and acceptance. But they made that choice. (laughs) I love the phrase where you said, People coddle their own anxieties. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that people feel comfortable coddling their own anxieties? Is it just because it's familiar? What's going on there? Well, first of all, because change is hurts. It's uncomfortable. I mean, when I'm up against those moments in my life, I'm like, I see why people coddle their anxieties. It's it's easy to want to do what you know how to do, you know, to kind of live at the level you've mastered already. It's hard to break things down. It's hard to step towards things, hard to exercise the muscles you don't want to exercise. And so it's hard. That's why. That's why love has moral values because it, it takes courage. It takes courage. 
growth takes courage. So it's uh, it's pretty human to be cowardly, I, I think, is really the reality of it. And it's pretty human to to kind of regress against our fears. So I think sometimes when we make love the norm, we cheapen it. Wow. Rather than I think sometimes laziness and hatred is more the norm, really. <laughs> if you think about what's easy. It's just because it's a default state that everything will gradually decline into that. And so that's its natural state. Yeah, I hesitate a little bit to say it's natural because I think human beings are very much capable of both love and hatred. We're capable of courage and discourage. But I think that it, sometimes when we say all humans are well-intentioned, we kind of deflate and devalue how remarkable love is because we push against the sort of natural tendencies in ourselves to not try, to not have courage. The things that always touch me when I'm watching films or seeing devastation of, you know, documentaries of devastating times and so on, is the courageous people. It's so touching to me to see people who do morally courageous things in the face of so much pressure to not do it. I guess I should say I I certainly can understand why people live in a cowardly way, although I have my highest respect for people who don't do it. It's really around, I think one reason we do it is we want to kind of delude ourselves that we're justified and delude ourselves that somebody else is more responsible for our choices than we are. Justified in, in what? Uh, the, the, we want to feel justified in that somehow it's okay that I'm not really trying because I'm a victim of my circumstances. Yeah, definitely. Right. Or I would be a much nicer person in this marriage if I weren't married to such a jerk, you know, or whatever. So people are very good at finding ways to justify their own retreat into their anxieties. Wonderful. Yeah. And so what I try to help people with is to unjustify it. You know, you're asking for a spouse who's courageous and kind and loving, and yet you don't won't offer it. Yes. So why are you asking for something that you yourself refuse to offer? I love that approach in the courses that I've taken of yours. You're talking about when I want this situation in my marriage, in my relationship, but I'm, am I, the question you always ask is, am I showing up as somebody who deserves that? Yeah, right. And I think that that's such a great question. And it's really introspective and it's hard. It's hard to, to take that look. Yeah, it pushes you on what you do have control over, which is just yourself. Exactly. Which is hard part of life because we all would like to control each other. But <laughs> everything comes back to accountability. Yes. Accountability for ourselves and what we're willing to do, even, you know, as it, Christ talks about in the New Testament, is very much this idea that love is its most virtuous when it's done in the face of hatred, meaning that you're willing to do hard things even when it would be justified to not do it. Mm-hmm. Right. You're willing to do courageous things even when other people are not. So I see human beings as being remarkably capable of really heroic, courageous things. But I think our natural state is to resist it because it hurts, because it's uncomfortable, because it's uncertain. So I think the virtues that we often talk about in religious language of faith and hope and charity are really those core ideas because they are against what is sort of most easy within ourselves. It's perfect. But it's it's really where you find your own psychological freedom. Mm -hmm. When I think back on my life, I think about sort of the dark, hard moments. 
as much as I disliked those and I thought that, that something was going wrong and that I needed to get out of those moments, those were often the moments where I found sort of my inner courage when I wasn't getting validation, you know, I thought of it as a bad thing, but in some ways it pushed me for my internal resources to go and create something better in my life. And I think of those times as really where very important things happened inside of me through the decisions I made in the face of the darkness, in the face of the difficulty. And I'm just really grateful to my younger self that I engaged courage often because now I get to live in the benefit of that. Yeah, you're playing the long game. You're living in the benefit of courageous decisions that you made decades ago. Yes, that's right. I think that that's something that people don't often realize is that it's not a microwave mentality. It's not you do this and then it's immediately your life is great. Yeah. You're setting up a foundation for 10 years from now. And that's that's right. It's hard for us to wrap our mind and our heart around because yeah. It's not immediate like everything else is. That's right. You know, back to the idea of self-investment, you're literally investing in yourself, in your development, in your future, in what you are capable of. And it's and it pays off. You know, it's it's worthy. You know, I talked about you get to decide which discomfort you have. But the thing is, when you choose productive discomfort, your overall discomfort goes down because you're creating a better reality both within yourself and in the world that you have around you. So the secret is choose productive discomfort <laughs> because you ultimately have to deal with less of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There, there's a secret. We, we figured it out. Yeah, there's, there's a, a secret. secret. <laughs> so, yeah. You primarily deal with couples and relationships, but we're talking about all these things in the context of yourself and how it relates to actions you are taking or not taking within a business, but I think they are so related. I would like to ask you about how you have seen your clients and their their businesses and their external things kind of increase or shift as they have worked on their own self and their own relationship. How has that rippled out? Let's talk about that ripple effect. Sure. Uh, just one client that comes to mind was in kind of a similar theme as I've been talking about, always in a kind of one down position. She is always sort of in an apologetic position, somewhat dependent, looking, being in relationship in a way in which she was in the more inferior position, but looking for a man that would take care of her psychologically and so on. And she's single, but she was dating and kind of constantly getting into these kinds of relationships. So she started to really see both where it came from, how much pressure that had been on her to do that, how she was doing it in her relationship, and then really starting to change it. Like, I don't, I can see it now. I don't want to do it. It scares me, but I want to step up. And so she started stepping up in her romantic relationship, stepping up in her life. And then what started happening is she was absolutely doing it at work. And she was in situations in which she was clearly being pressured by clients, male clients even, to kind of take a sort of step down, sort of getting bullied, right, in the context of the work that they were doing together. And just seeing that she now had this ability, the clarity of what was going on, more resource within herself, and don't get me wrong, it took a lot of courage, but mm -hmm. started getting her courage and stepping up and saying, no, you know, this is this is what you need to deal with and this is what you need to see. And just owning her authority in the best sense, doing her job in the best sense and not stepping down. And her boss, after doing this multiple times over the last year plus, because uh, she just kept growing in her ability to do it, just said, I've seen tremendous growth in you 
professionally. They just gave her a promotion. Yeah. And so, and she's just saying, you know, it's really about getting a hold of the way that I was throwing my strength away, deferring. And, and she had to tolerate invalidation to get there. That's the thing. Yes. She was making some people upset with her <laughs> as she did it, but she was doing the right thing and she was doing her job as she did it. And she didn't make people's approval more important than doing the right thing. And that's how she got there. I love that. So t tolerating invalidation on the way there yes. because that takes yes. courage. It does. Now, a lot of people, and I, I work with these people too, like they're, you're talking about they're in the one down position. You explained that uh, a little bit. I'm familiar with it because of your courses and stuff. But mm -hmm. when somebody is in that position where they are even energetically apologetic about a lot of things. Yes, that's right. And coming from that space, how do you temper the, the swing so that the pendulum doesn't go all the way to the other side? And they're like, well, I'm just going to not take any from anybody or anything like that. And because that's not a wise decision either. Right. Yeah, exactly. Be, having an internal compass or a sense of integrity is not a defiant position either. So it doesn't mean like you are unwilling to hear anybody else's point of view or that you don't care at all what anyone thinks. So it's not about like, I don't care. I'm fine if you're suffering. <laughs> it's not that. It's that I'm not going to run my life by your approval. Yes. But Anybody who is wise and wants to do wisely is going to be open to valuable or wise input from others, right? You're, if you want to make good choices, you're going to be looking to others that have gone before you, that have wisdom to offer. But ultimately, you don't go along with whatever they say because you want to be a good girl or a good boy. You're willing to really consider their view, consider it against your own sense of right and wrong, and then discern and make a choice out of that clarity, right? So it's still about I'm choosing, I'm taking responsibility, but I'm also gathering wisdom and good input to know that I'm making, you know, it's, it would be dumb to never borrow wisdom from people that have gone before us. Silly, right? But that's very different than a dependent position, which is I'll do whatever you say, just love me. Just think I'm a good person. Yeah. Right. Or I'm just going to not have to think for myself. I'll just do whatever you think is right. And that's a weak position. So you are, you know, it does matter what your spouse thinks. It does matter how you impact them, but you're not changing it just for their approval. You're changing it because you want to have a positive impact on them, not a negative one. Got it. And that comes back to choice. Exactly choice and self-definition relative to your partner, not just getting their approval. Beautiful. Beautiful distinction there about being less dependent on their approval and their validation for your own internal sense of self. And that, that goes with business too. If you're, yeah, you change with the market because you give the people, you know, what they want, but you don't, you're not doing it just so that you can feel a sense of validation about it. It's a the symbiotic relationship in that in that way. That's right. I love it. I love how you're talking about these things. What are some useful questions that people can ask themselves? Some introspective questions. Kind of like one of the things, I mentioned it already, but this idea of if you want something, are you showing up as a person who can receive that into their life or who is worthy of that? Like, am I, am I that person? What are some other introspective, useful questions that people can ask? I'll just say something more about that question. I think that's a really good one because I think that a lot of times we say things like, I want a good, clients will say to me, I want a good marriage. I want to be happy, mm -hmm. you know, and I'll say, you know, I guess I believe you. 
I, I believe <laughs> that you want that. Okay. But behaviorally speaking, because behavior is a better indicator of our desires than what we say about our desires, behaviorally speaking, you want to be punitive towards your spouse more than you want a good marriage. So I believe you want it. What I'm not sure is whether or not you're willing to do your part to get it. Yeah. And so it's just an important question. Like, it's fine to want my business to be successful. It's fine to want to get a master's in whatever. But am I really acting like somebody who is standing up for that reality, who is going to do what she or he needs to do to get it? Because now, now if you if you come to yourself honestly and say, no, I'm not, then the next question might be, why am I not doing it? Yeah. What am I afraid of? What am I protecting? Is it some fantasy that at some point this is going to be easy or feel better? Or is there some meaningful reason why I'm not doing it? Right. But why am I holding back? And is it legitimate or is it not legitimate in my own view? Am I holding back from things I respect or, or am I holding back for reasons I don't respect? You know, then you might look at, okay, well, what are the fears? If I, I don't want to be held back by fear, but what are the fears? Okay. So let's kind of think about the fears. I would line up, what are my fears? And then are there fears in there that are legitimate that I need to address, right? Real concerns, real limitations, real things that a wise person ought to concern themselves with, or are they just fears that have more to do with failure, invalidation, seeing myself as stronger than I'm accustomed to seeing myself as being, things like that that are more fears that aren't worthy, that would be hard for me to be at peace with if I didn't make this decision, right? Like if, if I were five years from now, didn't make it, would they eat at me as a way of not respecting that choice? And then if you can see it more clearly, it allows you more to say, maybe I don't want to define my life by my fears. Maybe these aren't fears that are worthy of holding back from. Maybe if there are legitimate fears, then what do I need to do to address them? Is there somebody I can get more input from to know if this is the right way to go or not? so that I'm actually walking towards it. But I think that the other thing is just letting yourself know that being afraid is normal. Everything's going right if you're afraid. <laughs> I mean, uh, feel, yeah. right? Feeling uncertain. I, I don't think there's anybody that's ever created anything worthy that wasn't willing to step into the uncertain and know it could be a dismal failure and still persevere because they wanted something on the other side. I think those are good questions to ask yourself. And I think it's also wise to seek out wise others to talk through it with yeah. and say, this is what I see in myself. This is what I think is holding me back. What do you think? What do you see in me? Because oftentimes we can't see ourselves or our situation. I mean, one of the things that's really true about being human is self-deception is really easy. I mean, we, we create meanings without thinking and we tend to create them in a way that self-justifies and so and creates equilibrium within our life. And that can really hold us back. And sometimes getting the input from other people can really open us up to another understanding of ourselves or another view or even allow us to borrow some confidence and say, I think that I could do this. Yeah. You know, this person did the same thing. They face their fears. Maybe I can too. Love it. And I think that both of our careers depend on other people seeking out wise counsel. Yeah. <laughs> <in> situations. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it That's works right. out for everybody. Everybody wins. <laughs> well, those That's are phenomenal right. questions. Uh, Jennifer, I'm so, so glad that you uh, agreed to come on the show. I love, love your work and everything that comes with it. And I know that everybody else 
has just gotten a lot out of it because you're cracking eggs and knowledge all over everybody's heads. <laughs> well, I'm going to kind of close up here by asking the next level five. What is your most important daily habit? I think probably the most helpful one, if I had to choose just one, is probably honestly eating healthfully. Good. As I just tend to eat healthfully. And I think it just makes a big difference in kind of having the kind of energy I need and capacity I need to do the work I do. So perfect. I think that's yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. What's something that you've recently bought that has leveled up your life? Um, I just bought about two months ago a monthly membership to an exercise process called Bar Method. Yeah. And I just love it. I just absolutely love it because it's allowed me to exercise parts of my body that were sort of underworked and were creating pain, like lower back pain and all mm. this. And so I just feel kind of stronger all over. And it's really just made a big difference in my aging body to be able to keep doing all the things I want to be doing. Perfect. What was the catalyst for, for finding it or like, why were you like, okay, I need to actually do something. And why was bar the thing that you chose? Probably two things that were going on is that one is that I wasn't just because I'm busy, so much going on in my life and getting all the way to the gym that I normally go to, it was just happening less and less. So I was getting there two to three times a week as opposed to more. Actually, that was on a good week, two to three times. It was actually <laughs> happening less. <laughs> and and I'm, you know, I just turned 50 this year. And so it's like my body just couldn't, I just knew I have to figure out a way to exercise close to every day because I, my body can't handle it. So I just looked for something really close. And I, this was like walking distance from my house. And so I just went in and started doing it. And it was like, this is everything I've needed. <laughs> and it was, it's, I mean, it's just the right kind of exercise too. It's like all the core exercises that I need and stuff like that. So I kind of just happened into it, but I'm really grateful. Love it. All right. Number three, who is influencing you right now besides David Schnarch? And I will say this as a little side note, I love that he is one of your like main influences and mentors because I get to hear the word schnarch all the time. And it's just, <laughs> it's just an incredible word. Every time you say it, I was like, it's just a little smile on my face. It's a great word. And I, it's not there. Those are not sounds that you normally hear together. And so you, yeah. you talk about him and I'm like, I love that she talks about him because I get to hear his name. <laughs> because he really has made a big difference in my life. Yeah. He, he truly has. So I was thinking about the question. I'm like, if I say schnarch, it's like such a gimme. Like I say that all the time. So I'm like, okay, who else can I say? And I think probably the person I would say is, is a woman named Barbara Fairfield. Nobody's going to know her. She's just somebody that I reach out to. I talk to once a month and I just talk to her about clinical cases and so on. And she is an older woman. She's a generation ahead of me. And but she's just wise. She has a lot of thoughtful input for me around the clinical work I do, but also just about how to live life well. And so she's just she's just a very valuable resource for me in just doing uh, good professional work, but also in, in staying reflective about my own life. So cool. One of the things that I love about that question is that because I like to bring people on here who I consider mentors. I mean, you, you didn't even know me, but you were one of my mentors and have been for the last year. And I love that people that I look to also look to others. And it's just this idea of even the people that are top thought leaders are still working with coaches. Yes. It's just cool. Okay. So what is the biggest breakthrough that you've had recently? I would say a major breakthrough I've had in the last six months, and it felt pretty major, is 
I think coming into a deeper awareness of my relationship to some of my extended family and my part in creating some of the dysfunction there, that I had not seen myself as having a role in some of the the problematic relationships that were there and seeing that I did have a role and that I needed to repent and change. And that was disorienting and uncomfortable and very good for me. And I think hopefully also good for those relationships, it looks like, it's feeling like. And so I'm grateful for it. And it was a major breakthrough. You know, you can know a lot about yourself and know a lot and and grow a lot and still have blind spots. And the sad thing is I still have them. (laughs) So I'm just kind of teasing the sad thing. It's just a part of being human. You just know, you just kind of have to keep going through it, but it's not the sad thing. It's the reality. It's a good part of life, but. That's so great. But yeah, that was an important part of the last few months. So, Well, thank you so much for your candor on that one. I, I love that because the things that you teach about <laughs> your own personal accountability within relationships and, and you're utilizing that and implementing it in your own life in yeah. a really cool way. And I you're, yeah. you're modeling it. It would be weird if you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. It's where all the joy is. You just, yeah, well, you're welcome. And it is where all the joy is. I mean, really see it. It's like the only way to live, even though it's hard. Cool. That's cool. Well, where can people get more of you? How can, tell tell people all about you. This is your, sell it, sell away your, your courses, your website, everything. Go for it. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, so my website, there's a lot of resources there. If you want to just hear more of how I think about things, I have, uh, you'll see a podcast link on my website, and there's just lots of free podcasts that you can listen to where I've you know, given interviews on different forums about body, body image, perfectionism, sexuality, relationships, um, all kinds of things. And then I do online courses for LDS couples primarily, but they're applicable to anybody, and where I deal with relationships, intimacy and relationships. I have a relationships course. I have a couple's sexuality course where I help people really understand the barriers to a more passionate and open sexual relationship and what they can do to change and improve it. And then I have a women's sexuality course that um, is called The Art of Desire. And it's a course about helping women really claim, it's it's kind of in vain with some of the things we talked about today in the um, of claiming your desires and looking at the things that have pushed you towards self-doubt and so on. So it's a course about sexuality, but it's a course about desire and our relationship to ourselves first, because they're so fundamental to being more fully embracing of our sexuality and to be capable of passion and so on in a relationship. So um, that's the Art of Desire course. And, um, and then I have a How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex course. And then I'm also doing two live workshops this year before I leave the country. And so one is in Utah, the 12th through the 15th of September. It's a women's sexuality retreat. It's the Art of Desire uh, course, but spread out over three days and a lot more, you know, video footage and, you know, lots of in-depth coverage of these principles and these ideas. And it's a really, if I do say so myself, it's a really, um, it's a wonderful <laughs> retreat. It really is. It's, it's fun. I love teaching it, but I love seeing the transition that happens from day one to day three. It's like really, really cool. So, um, and then I'm doing the couples retreat where I will be doing a two-part retreat f- talking about relationships and sexuality in Jackson Hole. And so people can come 
and stay there at the hotel and they get lunch every day and so on in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And that's the end of October. And so, yeah. And so, and then you're able to interact with me and get more direct input on your relationship or questions you have, challenges you have and so on. So, so so anyway, those, those are all there. Yeah. Yeah. Your live courses or your your online courses, your in-person retreats and you have some incredible stuff. My wife and I bought the, uh, strengthening your relationship course and it's just mm-hmm. yeah. so much of the stuff that we talked about today and yes. it just goes so much in depth of it, it with it and i love it and i feel like even if your relationship is awesome you can always yeah absolutely the, i mean like the the name of this podcast is next level life no matter where you're at you can take it to the yes. next level and that's empowering that's right. because there's always right. just more to learn i think it would be boring if you ever like reached yeah, it all. I think a lot of people. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have the idea that the good part of marriage is like the honeymoon. You know, kind of like <laughs> it's good in the beginning, and then everything kind of gets more resentful and more closed. And I think that is a stereotype because a lot of people do do marriage that way. But the way I really think about the good marriage is that it's a growing marriage. Yeah. And you know, when people talk about marriage being happy it's because they experience an expansion of themselves within the context of marriage. Those that talk about being unhappy in marriage have a constriction of self. So again, back to this issue of of our relationship to ourselves is we want to feel that we really can deeply belong to ourselves in the marriage that we're in. And the way that happens is through it continuing to grow for intimacy to become deeper, richer, for your developing who you are as a person to become broader and deeper. So I think, you know, you're absolutely right. The principles are really there that can help you at whatever position you're at in your, in the trajectory of your marriage. So good. So good. Thank you so much, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Five. I really, really appreciate you coming by and talking to us today. It was my pleasure, Preston. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group, and more. Thank you for being here.